Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Vineyard Community Church. It's so good to see everybody. Everybody say good morning to Mike this morning. And Mike says good morning to all of you. We are so happy you're here. Say good morning to your neighbor. That's awesome. Well, we are into our second week of Advent, and if uh, you're new or you've just crawled out from under the rock in which you came, this is CFK week. We're stepping out. Uh, so if you get a minute after today, we're going to take all the chairs down. We're going to move stuff because all week we're going to prepare this room to be our gift center, and then Saturday we're, uh, we'll do the program. So... Um, and please always be in prayer for that program. Uh, we're looking to have another amazing season and amazing year this year. So let's pray. And we're going to start with some music. And then uh, we're, we're going to have an Advent reading where the Advent candle will be lit. Do some announcements and um, then Brent will bring the message. And we'll have a time of fellowship and many hands make light work. Amen. Amen. So we just ask, come Holy Spirit. You're such an amazing God. You're a God that hears our cries. You're a God that, that knows the things even when we don't speak them. But you're a God who loves unconditionally. And you meet us exactly where we're at. And that's the God who I want to, to really have in my corner. Your promises are true. And you're faithful. And we thank you for that. So whatever need has been brought into this room this morning, we ask Holy Spirit to come and comfort that and fulfill it, to remove it if that's the case. And we ask for those cries to be heard. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you feel like getting to your feet, you can stand. We have a freedom of expression in worship. Uh, just mind your neighbor. Uh, if you want to sit and relax, that's fine too. We just want you to be comfortable in whatever whatever position. Um, yeah, and open your ears and your eyes and your heart.
We'll give you all the glory. Christ the Lord. Thank you. wrong key. <laughs> I'm looking at Brian going, you're playing this wrong, Brian. What are you doing? All right. <laughs> Welcome to the vineyard. <laughs> Thank you for your grace. <laughs> Next song is Cape Boat, sorry. Beyond measure, 
gracious King of kings The Lord of earth and heaven The creator of all things He is His King of glory He's everything to me sing his name is Jesus
fear of the capo.
Lift your voices. God, you are awesome. You spoke and created all things. Jesus, you're worthy. A wonder of unfailing 
spiritual power filling us with presence and life. Amen. Amen. Give him the praise and the glory. First, it's the capo. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. Time for the offering. How about that? My bad. So, last week we changed. We used to... uh, just have an uh, area in the back that you could give. And, and we wanted to make the offering part of our worship still. And last week, because I had everything written out, it was so cool. And this week, I forgot. So we are going to do the offering. The scripture this week is Leviticus 2730. It says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And we want our offering to be just that. It's something from our heart. It's something we give, not because it's something that's lorded over us as a demand or a wagging of the finger, but we want it as a heart expression. As God has poured out to you, he wants that given back. And just this gesture of saying, this doesn't replace you. This isn't who you are in my life. And we as a community want to be able to use that and be great stewards of it and give it away and do it to use the things that he's called this kingdom to do. So we're going to take, and there's ways to give. So if you give online, we have a Zelle program that you can give through your bank. You can do it by mail. You can do it here. So there's still many ways to give, but we felt amazingly that it was amazingly important to be able to do it here, that we just take this time corporately to offer this up. So we have ushers in the back, and they'll collect the the, uh, offering from the back to the front. God, you are awesome. You spoke and created all things. Jesus, you're worthy.
So Jesus, we just lift this offering to you and we thank you. We ask that you use this for the blessing of your kingdom, for this church to be able to reach out past our walls, to do the things that you've called us to do. Come and let us be amazing uh, providers to those who are in need in this area. We know that what has been given here and what has been given throughout the week is just this amazing offering for us to just extend your love and your kindness to the people around us. We ask and pray this now in your name. Amen. Amen. the trees, Henry asked. I thought we'd give them to to Frank and the other fellows. Henry nodded in agreement. The best presents are the ones you don't expect, he thought. Because it was Christmas Eve, the workers were having a little party. Frank and the others took the tallest of the trees that Henry and his father had given them and decorated it with whatever they could cobble together. Paper, garland, paper garlands, cranberries threaded onto string, even a few shiny tin cans. Henry added an ornament of his own. He made a, he made of newspaper that folded, he folded into a star. In the background, he could hear his father talking with Frank about grown-up things. He heard the hard times for Henry's family. In the shack in the in which they lived, but Henry didn't want to think about those things. He just wanted to look at the most marvelous Christmas tree he'd ever seen. It had been the best day that Henry could remember, and he didn't want it to end. He stood before the decorated tree enchanted. The street lamps were just had just come on, and the tin cans glittered in the night. If ever there was a magic moment, Henry thought, this is it. He decided to make a special Christmas wish. He wished that one day his family would live in a nice, warm house. After making his wish, Henry opened his eyes. His gaze fell on a pine cone laying on the ground. He picked it up and was turning it over in his hands when he felt his father's grip on his shoulder. Time to go, Sparky, his father said. Henry stuffed the pine cone in his pocket, said goodnight to the workers, and walked with his father back to the truck. By the time they arrived home, it was well past Henry's bedtime. You must be exhausted, his mother said, slipping off his boots. Straight to bed with you. Struggling off his coat, Henry felt a bulge in his pocket. It was the pine cone. He took it out, he looked at it, and he remembered the joys of the magic of that day and the magical tree. And next week we'll read some more.
And now Pastor Brent will bring today's Advent word. Good morning. These lights make your eyes look like they're all black and blue underneath, you know? It's, it's terrible. Um, I posted on Facebook because I knew I'd get thousands of questions. I um, was talking to my sister, Rochelle, <laughs> this week, and I had to cough, so I was talking on the phone, and I thought, oh, I'll just step away from the phone. So I don't want to cough. And I could have just pressed mute, I guess, but, you know. So I stood up, and I have a thing, uh, a couple of weird things that go on in my body. One of them is both my heart, my main heart arteries connect to the same point. Most people's, one connects to the left and one connects to the right ventricle. Mine doesn't. Mine both connect to the left ventricle. The other thing I have is um, uh, my vasovagal nerve is super sensitive, and it's located right kind of too close to my esophagus, and so when I cough, I get a, it's called a vasovagal response, where your vagus nerve, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, so I just think I am sometimes. Um, I just self-diagnose too much. Um, and anyway, it pinches, or it stops the blood, basically it drops your blood pressure down to zero instantly. And so you instantly go down. And so in this case, I was in the man cave, and the man cave doesn't have a lot on the floor except cave. You know, it's like concrete. And so I, I woke up, um, and I was laying on the cave floor, and, and I actually didn't hurt because I had passed out before I hit my head. And I thought, my first thought was, why am I sleeping in the garage? What time is it? And then I hear, I hear this voice on the phone behind me, Brent, are you okay, Brent? And it was Rochelle. And so I got up real quick, and I looked, and there was like kind of blood all over, and I thought, did I kill somebody? I hope not. Um, and then I got up and I, I just kind of quickly said to Rochelle, hey, Rochelle, I fell, i got to go. And I, hung up, or I don't even know if I said that, did I? Or did I just hang up? I might have hung, just hung up because I was kind of, I, I knew I, that I had like a literal softball on my head. And it was, up, it was up here and now it's sort of moved down into there. I'm not sure how far down it's going to go. Does it keep going until it goes out of your toes or something? I don't know. So anyway, that's the, that's the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, no, it wasn't Teresa going all Viking on me. Um, so it was like, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of funny going into places, though, because everybody's like, yesterday I went into Giant Eagle and I, had to, I was helping Teresa buy stuff. And, and it was really sweet, these little, little old ladies that were probably in their 85 or 90 with walkers and stuff. They would see me kind of trying to push the cart and my... My right hip is, goes bad, you know, on and off. I can walk well or not. It wasn't walking well and going like this. And this one lady is about 85, and she's in a walker. And she goes, may I help you, young man? And I was like, like oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, but I am, I am fine. And um, just life happens, doesn't it? 
life happens. And it's actually not, not that you want something like this, but it fits in with the series that we're doing right now. It's called The Bright Valley. And I was listening to the, uh, some of the people that had put it together, and one of their thoughts in The Bright Valley was that, that we, li- we live between two points sometimes, between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And in that place is a valley, and valleys can be very beautiful and wonderful and stuff, but they can also be dark. And like uh, Psalm, Psalm uh, 23 says, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, yeah, we, and, and I don't know where you're at this morning. If some of you are here and you're walking through valleys, um, I hope this message speaks to you. And even if you're not walking through a valley, it, it is one of the most amazing, powerful messages um, about uh, what's coming, what's coming, and what, what is and what, what will be. And so um, it's, it's a passage that many of you are probably familiar with. It's the one where the lion and the lion and the lamb will lie down together. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? There was a, a story going on around, I don't know if it was true, that, that out in the um, a California zoo they actually had a lion and lamb that would, you know, sleep, be together. And um, the only problem was they had to replace the lamb every day. Um, or as Woody Allen said one time, Woody Allen was an old comedian, and he said, uh, yeah, I, I could see a, a lion and a lamb, you know, being together, but he said, I don't think the lamb would get much sleep. Um, so, and that's how our world works, doesn't it? Our, our world is... Red in tooth and claw, as one famous poet said, and not only within the animal kingdom but in the human kingdom, we live between two valleys. And physically, some of us, uh, especially when we get older a little bit, or sometimes when we're really young, is sort of a young man from Florida State who um, I think was on the football team, and they discovered he had this weird disease that made him just randomly grow tumors all through his body. And one had got, and they weren't malignant, but one had gotten in his brain, and it ended up causing him, causing him to lose sight and a lot of mobility. And he was living in a valley. And it talked about how he came out of that. And so we're going to talk about that today. So I'm going to pray for his father. Would you come? And uh, you know all the things that have gone on this week, both in in our lives and in this world, and the physical things that I've been kind of wrestling with. So would you come and help? Um, speak to your people through your word because it's such an amazingly beautiful word today. And would you meet us where we're at? Meet those people that need to hear this word of hope, this word of encouragement, I pray. Amen. So um, let me give you a little bit of background. This was written in a, by a prophet named Isaiah. He's one of the, called the major prophets. And they're major prophets because they're, they tend to be longer. They're bigger, longer works. And they're spread out throughout the history of Israel. So if you ever read the Bible, you read like First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, some of those things. Those are giving you like a broader um, sociological history of what's going on in Israel at that time. It's theological too, but it's sociological. And then you come to like these prophets, and these prophets lived during those times that are spoken of during the kings. And Isaiah was, you know, as I've gotten older, I, my appreciation for the, the 
brilliance and the literary brilliance and the theological brilliance of this the stuff that, that Isaiah wrote is astounding to me. Some people have called Isaiah the fifth gospel because it, it proclaims Jesus almost as well, if not better, than, than all, all the other gospels do. It, it gives us a grounding of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. This is one of those, those rare exceptions where, um, like one day in Sunday school, um, a teacher was trying to teach the kids, and she said, you know, what's, what's furry and has a tail it runs along on all fours and runs up and down trees and buries nuts. And, and, all, and one of the little boys finally goes, well, it sounds a lot like a squirrel, but I know we're in Sunday school, so it must be Jesus. You know? <laughs> and this is one of the cases where actually it really is Jesus. It really is talking about Jesus. So, um, so we're going to pick it up, and at the very end, I'm actually going to... Um, uh, start at the very end of uh, chapter 10 in Isaiah. It's not in your bulletin, but it's, a, it's finishing up a talk about Isaiah because what's happening here is God is going through and he's doing something. He had told Israel if they, if they trusted him, if they walked in his ways, that things would be good. And if they chose not to, he would have to discipline them. And so the discipline that he used was exile. And he allowed them to be attacked. He allowed things to happen to them, and so on and so forth. And that's not to say that when things happen to you, it's because God is mad at you or you've done anything wrong or anything like that. I mean, the Apostle Paul was, was stoned, was shipwrecked, was beaten. Our own Savior was killed and attacked. And so if you're going through hard times today, the one thing that we do know is that, that it isn't because God doesn't love us. Or God is just mad at us. But it starts out with, See the Lord Almighty, in verse 33 of chapter 10, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. And so God has already chopped down Israel to a stump. It's just a stump like on a, on a tree. It's just sitting there. But the people who, who God used to bring Israel to that humble, stumpish place had, had gotten very proud and said, look at how great we are, you know, not realizing that it was God who even allowed them to do what they did. And so God says, you too will I take down to that root level. And I think all of us at one time or another have, have been brought low We've been brought low. And sometimes it looks like there's nothing left. But that doesn't mean God's done. It doesn't mean God's done. Often God has to bring us to that lowest of low place where we're literally, the, the, our tree, the tree that we are, gets chopped down at the very, down to the very stump. And we think there's nothing left, God. I got nothing left in me. And God goes, Good, now I can work with you. And he says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now Jesse, if you remember right, was King David's father. And he was Jesus' great, 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 bunch of greats, grandfather. And so Jesse is very significant. In fact, 
We'll get to this in a second, but you can make a Jesse tree, which is kind of cool. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from the roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his eyes, his ears hear. Wouldn't that be nice to have somebody who's... who's Judgment isn't predetermined by what they've seen on news channels or what they've heard on podcasts, who just actually is able to judge justly or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, with rightness, with rightness. Don't we need somebody in our world right now to, to actually do something and tell us what is right? He will judge the needy, and he will give just... give. Decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. He'll deal with evil. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness will sash around him. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young children will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters fill the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, lower Egypt, upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. Lord, bless your words today. Amen. And so what we're talking about here is, is peace, but not like you understand it. It's God finally bringing true peace True peace. Not a detente. Not a like, no, we don't fight at all. We just don't talk to each other. Not that. But a true peace. He's the king of peace. And today we're going to learn about the nature of that king who brings peace. The the justice of that king who brings peace. And the, the impossible possible king who brings peace. Peace, but not what you think. So the first thing we look at is the nature of this person. This be- and it's speaking of a coming messianic kingly figure. It's, it, Isaiah, you have, to, you have to imagine this. This is a, like around maybe 700 years, 600, I can't, can't remember exactly. Years before Jesus is born. And Isaiah sees, with, he sees a vision. He sees a glimpse of what is to come? He has a dream, almost like Dr. King did, has a dream of how things will and can be. And that dream is intended to go back from its landing point, from its future position. It's intended to go back to the people that it's reaching and change their lives. There's power in the words of the prophetic words of God because they, they help change and move us into who we're supposed to be. We see the vision. We see the dream along with them. 
And we say, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. So the nature of the king, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse and from his roots a branch. Oh, by the way, I didn't, I didn't put this in yet, but there's a thing that you can do with your kids, which I thought was pretty cool. I never heard of it before, but probably all of you have. It's called the Jesse tree because it talks about Jesse. And in this passage, we'll get to this in a minute, because Jesus both the shoot, and a shoot is just a, you know, you ever have a stump that something just grows out of? That's what it is. That's what, that's what the shoot was. But then he says he's shoot, but he says he's also the root of Jesse's tree. And what's really cool about that is that means that Jesus is the one who, who started the tree for Jesse. That's, Jesse grew up out of Jesus' root. And then Jesus grew up out of Jesse's tree, out of his branch. But you can make a Jesse tree. and you, Can you see all the things on there? They're different Bible things to remind kids or adults all of those things. And what you could do is, if you want this year, on your Christmas tree, instead of just having you know, Merry Christmas or you know, a farting Santa or something, you can, uh, you can put, uh, little, look, put little stories that remind you that God brings to your mind. You have your kids. If you have kids, you could do that with your kids. It would be kind of fun. Do that even in our children's thing, kind of make a Jesse tree a bit fun thing. Maybe you've done those or you've done those. You've heard of it? Why haven't you done it? I mean, how could you not do a Jesse tree? Um, I've never done one either. Okay, so the first part of this is that just that for, for the Israelites, they had gotten to the place where they're looking at this and they're going, okay, God made these promises that. that that David's kingdom would be an ever, you know, this kingdom was supposed to be an everlasting kingdom with no end. And yet, literally, Israel had been, had been wiped almost off the map. There's very few left. There's a few remnant people who are going to be coming back. But they're, they're on the verge again of having Assyria come and attack them and wipe them out yet once again. And Isaiah knows this, and Isaiah prophesies this. But Isaiah can never stand to just give them the bad news. He always has to include the good news with it. Why? So they don't lose hope. We all need hope, don't we? We all need something that we can grab a hold of in the dark places of the valleys we find ourselves in. And so it begins with, by saying that this, this miraculous Leader, and we believe that it's Jesus. Remember, I was telling this, this story about the the uh, the kid in school who says that it looks like a squirrel, but it must be Jesus. This actually looks like Jesus, and it's Jesus. If you ever go through Isaiah, it looks a lot like Jesus, and it, and and he acts a lot like Jesus. This new this King that is coming, and it says that that he will be. And, and these are just some of the characteristics that are given to him. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. And again, he's, he's doing something unique there. He's saying that this, this Jesus, this Messiah, messianic figure who's going to be born, not only is, is going to be the one that, that, that comes out of this thing that's seemingly dead, just like the resurrection. That, and, I, and I want to share that with you too, because you know what, no matter where where and how bad things look and it may look like there's just a stump left in your life there is a God who can raise out of a stump life and that's the God that we serve 
He's not only shoot, but he's the one who started. He was the root. He was the one who started Jesse's lineage. He is so, the, the, our, our, our Lord and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and our Lord Jesus is so committed to bringing us to himself that he, he, he both rose Je- Jesse up and knowing that eventually he was going to have to come. And once that stump was, was all the way down to the ground, he was the one that was going to come and become that. But he says that the first characteristic of this uh, nature of this king is that he's, he's drenched, he's, he's, he's walking in God's spirit. That doesn't mean he's doing weird stuff all the time, walking around. But what it means is he's walking in the presence and reality of God's will. He's walking. He's walking in God's spirit. It says... There's a great passage in Isaiah 64 that says, um, uh, Oh Lord, would you rend the heavens and come down and do what you did before. And then when Jesus was being baptized, it says, in the, in, the, in the heavens in Mark's gospel, the heavens were rent open, torn open. God opened up just like him right now this morning if he chose to open up uh, you know, a, a window into heaven, which he could do. Heaven and earth aren't like way, way far apart. They're actually very close. And if God would just open up that window and let us see. And, and, and he says that, that this Messiah, this Messianic figure, is going to be so close. He's going to be right here. And he's going to be so filled with the Spirit of God. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and might. In other words, he's going to be a, a, a God or a leader who knows how to make things right. How to deal with circumstances. I was talking with one of my friends. He's not here today, so I can pick on him. Dave Anderson. He's one of the man cave faithful. And Dave and I, Dave and I were talking. He was talking about doing management. He does management with a lot of times older people than himself at the, in the business he's in. And, and he says, really challenging sometimes. Because, you know, do you ever, have you ever been in business managerial meetings and companies? Any of you ever had that? They, even, even meetings anywhere doesn't have to be a business. They can get crazy. And part of what you have to do, and part of what I've learned to do, is just have one ear open to God and say, oh, God, please come. Come and be here and be the director of this meeting. But he's also a spirit of counsel and of might. Not only can he give us good counsel and direction, but he can actually show us what to do. He shows us what to do. And this, this messianic figure, this this stump, this shoot that's, that's coming out also is, um, lives in the fear of the Lord. And, and we go, well, what does it mean? He not only lives in it, he delights in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Delights. Fear of the Lord, a lot of us think that we're terrified, you know, this God of wrath and we're all terrified of him. That, that isn't what it means. What it means is to live in, in right relationship with our creator, to remember that we're created we're not the creators. We're not God. Have you realized that? One of the most important things to realize in life, I think, is that there is a God and you are not him. Right? And we get that in perspective and then life can come back into its intended form when we get back to that place. 
So he's, he's, he's spirit. He's, he's walking in the presence of God continuously. And he's walking in the fear of the Lord. He's walking with the reality of, of God's presence. And so in a very real sense, like Paul says in, in, in uh, Scripture in the New Testament, in Colossians, he says he's the very image. He's the image bearer of God. He's God incarnate. He's God with us. And again, it comes out of all, just it comes out of that place where there's nothing left. And there's this great scene in the Lord of the Rings, the the book, both the book and the, the movie version, where there's this big kingdom, the kingdom of Gondor, and there's been this white tree there that hasn't bloomed for I think hundreds of years. It's just been barren. And, it's, and, it's, and there was a rumor that went around that said. It, this, this tree will not bloom again until the true king comes. And then Aragorn, who nobody really knows who he is, he's just kind of this humble servant who's been living out in the woods and protecting people and, and doing guidance and, and being a shepherd. He shows up and suddenly the tree goes into full bloom. And the people go, the king people before that were going, when somebody would say, what's that barren tree? They'd say, that's a sign that the king one day will come. And the king one day will come again in our lives. And yet we live in that valley in between. And sometimes it's important for us when we live in that valley to be able to see the faint signs or sometimes bigger signs that God is still with us that he still cares about us. We still need, just because we're living in between the first and second coming of Christ, doesn't mean that we just have to kind of like hang in there until Jesus comes back kind of thing, until Jesus comes to make everything right. No, we're not called to just hang in there until Jesus comes. We're called to participate in this kingdom that he's about to bring. And, and so, but sometimes we live in this, this place of, of pain and suffering, and we don't always know what's going on, and we need... We need signs from heaven. We need pennies from heaven. Or dollars, or, you know. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this week, after I did my, my and some of you know, and this, I'm, this isn't, well, it is, it's me being Mr. Whiny a little bit, but, you know, my, my, my right hip got all tore up doing some food pantry stuff. And, and just from years and years of helping move people and stuff, the tendons and ligaments are all shot in there. So it's, pretty, it's kind of hard for me to... It's not kind of hard. It's really hard for me to walk. And, um, and, then, and then I found out a while ago that my liver is not doing well. It's, in, it's kind of in a... It's kind of, you can pray for that. It's just not doing good. Um, which is kind of ironic because I haven't drank for, I don't know, since 1978. That's quite a few years, I think. Isn't it? A couple. Yeah. They, they ran out of pins in... In, a, in NA and AA, so I just I used to get a pin every every year or something. It's like like I had pins, lots of pins. Um, but anyway, um, uh, then that that one day that day that I ended up doing a head plant, I, I went into the hospital and and God was very kind. We we walk in the door at at. Um, 185th Street, the Cleveland Clinic Hospital up there. We walk in the emergency room. And the guy right before us, they were going through and checking all this stuff, his backpack and everything. And I get up there and they go, just go. <laughs> so then I get back. And they don't do the triage thing either, really. She goes, what's your name? 
And then she goes, what year is it? And I said, 2012. And she's like, oh, that's not good. Um, and then, so I said, no, wait, it's 2023. I'm thinking about my car. It's a 2012. Um, but anyway, so they get me right back, and they, they do all the CT tests and all that kind of stuff. But I got home that night, and I'm sitting at home, and, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm just going, I, I went to start to talk to God. I'm sitting in my man cave, and I, and I, and I just went, because so, my, you know, my, my face was starting to block, block over the side with swelling shut. And I just went, you ever have those points where you just go, I got nothing. God, you got to come and meet me. Because I don't have the energy to come and meet you. And for the next couple of days, I just saw signs of the shoot coming out of the stumps. I saw some of the signs. We, we had, on Friday night, we had all of our area pastors and leaders and stuff like that. We rent a restaurant in downtown Willoughby. And um, Friday night we did, and we, Teresa and I we were. Um, driving down to, to go there and had a couple things we had to get out. And the whole time I'm thinking, because that day my hip was really bad. I could barely walk. And that, if you ever parked, tried to park in downtown Willoughby during, on a Friday night, it's, I, yeah, it's like, a, so I'm, I'm not even, I'm not, I read, like I said, I don't even have the gumption to ask God for anything. So I'm just driving. We pull in to the, right next to the restaurant, it's the Green River Diner, is that what it's called? Good food, by the way, I recommend. Um, we, we pull in there, and right at the very first spot, right in front of the place, a guy just pulls out. And I was like, oh, God, you're so kind. And then, and then the, the next day, I, was, I had to call. I was calling a doctor and, and doing a telehealth thing because I didn't know what I should do next kind of thing. And I get this doctor, and she's like, oh, I've just read all your charts. I see everything. That, and she knew everything. You know, you know how like, that doesn't always happen when you go to the doctor? You know, you go into the doctor for one thing, and they're going... Well, no, I'm really, cons- you know, you're like, my stomach is killing me. And they're like, well, they, you, know, you feel like they're not listening. This doctor, not only she, did she listen, but she knew everything. She had read the whole report. And I was like, thank you. There's, a, there's these little signs along the way, people, that, that if we look, we can see the shoot coming up. We can see... Droplets of grace, gracelets falling from heaven for us, from our Father. We can see that he hasn't abandoned us. That he's there. That we may not always understand it, but that he's there. The second thing um, with this... uh, with with this um, famous dump or shoot that comes out of the ground is the justice of the king. And sometimes people are like, why, you know, why, why do you talk about racial reconciliation? Why do you talk about you know, the poor? Why do we talk about um, you know, immigrants and, and you know, people coming from other countries and foreigners and stuff like that? Why do we do that stuff? And, and we, we, we automatically, we always categorize people into right or left, don't we? We, we automatically go there. And it's funny because Jesus transcends that. It's not like Jesus is getting on the bandwagon with Fox or CNN or MSNBC or whatever else other things. He's not, that isn't, 
That isn't where Jesus makes his decisions. In fact, it says this. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. Now, isn't, what he's saying here isn't that it means he's completely blind or doesn't hear. But he's saying that just sight alone is not going to determine his decision for this. And just hearing alone isn't going to determine. He literally knows what's right. Wouldn't it be great to have somebody who just came on and said, and everybody went, oh, I don't know, when Jesus was here, not everybody agreed with him, but that, that everybody just went, yeah, that's actually the truth. He will speak, he will be, he is that truth. And he gives decisions for the poor of the earth. And by the poor, he means those who don't have a voice. Or even sometimes it can be somebody who's wealthy, but who's just poor in spirit, who's just humbled, who just feels like they have no advocate, kind of like with me the other day, feeling like I don't have anywhere to turn. God, you've got to come and meet me because I can't come and meet you. That's what it means. For God to give justice for the poor of the earth. And that's part of the reason that we care about the poor. Because guess who God cares about? The poor. He cares about the rich. But he, he speaks for those who don't have a voice. There are a lot of people in our world that don't have a voice. And it doesn't mean they can't speak. It means they're not heard and he says, one day things are going to be made right. Therese and I, many years ago, we had a mission trip with a whole bunch of people that went down to Brazil. And the company we used was recommended by another church, and it was a supposedly Christian company. And so we had, like, I think 18 people, or was it more than that? 20 people, maybe. And we had, you know, collected money, done car washes, you know. Um, I gave haircuts, and, you know, just a lot of, not really. Um, just a lot of free we, we, they raised money, and so the day of the, they're supposed to leave. The, we get a call, and the, the ticket person's like, "Well, I wasn't able to secure your tickets without a deposit, so we need to have a like a thirty or forty thousand dollar hold, you know, that we have as, as as evidence of the fact that we're getting the tickets." And I was like, a little suspicious, but I was like, oh, "Got to do something." So, so anyway, we do that, and. The people that we happen to be getting the tickets for, they actually eventually did get the tickets. But in that process, they, they, they took two trees of mine credit cards because we had to give them the equivalent of what the tickets cost were, like $30,000 or something. And they took, they, they took that and just kept it. They took like almost $60,000. And we were like, this is so wrong. And so we, we did, tried to do arbitration with the a Christian lawyer, because and, and, that person said they were Christian. So we're, we're driving down to Columbus, and they're not responding, not responding, not responding. And, you know, you, when you're in a position like that, I don't know if any of you have ever been, been in a position like that, you just feel like, I, I don't have any power here, Lord. These people have, have some power. They have, they have lawyers. They have all this stuff. I don't, I don't have that stuff. You have to be my voice. And injustices happened. We ended up eating a lot of that money. Um, I, we didn't eat it. We, you know what I mean. But that, that kind of stuff happens. And, and so when, when, when Jesus comes, one of the things that it says is that he's going to make things right. He's going to clarify, like, 
what's going on in Palestine and Israel. He's going to clarify. He's going to make things right. There's a really cool passage in, in the book of Joshua, when Joshua is about to go into the promised land and do battle. And Joshua comes up on this mountain, and he's meditating, and, and he sees an angel of the Lord, with, I think with a sword raised up or something. He sees an angel of the Lord, and Joshua goes, are you for us, or are you for our enemy? And, and, and the uh, angel goes, no. But I'm an angel, I am the angel of the Lord. In other words, I'm not on anybody's side, but you can be on my side. Does that make sense? And I think that's what, what he's saying here, is that this, this person will make things right, will speak things right. I used to not think as much about the need for things to be made right or for things to be made just, but then I, over and over again I run into members of the community here that have lost their jobs unfairly or had other unfair things done to them or been, um, we've even had some people over the years that have been incarcerated unjustly. And, and you realize we're not just in the business, we are in the business of bringing good news that Jesus can transform and change our lives and save us. And that's the ultimate good news. But we're also in the business of caring about and making our world look a little bit more like what he talks about here. Did any of you ever see, I never saw this movie about that lady that used to, I think it was a nun that used to work on death row with death row inmates. I can't remember who she was called. It was just a beautiful, pardon? Yeah, Dead Man Walking. It's just a beautiful, sad story of somebody who just gave their life to people who were coming to the end of theirs. So the second thing this king does is is the justice of the king. We can't have peace until things are made right, right? You can't have peace. I mean, if if you're a person who's physically or sexually abused by somebody and you go home for Thanksgiving or whatever, and they're there, and that's never been dealt with, can you really have peace? I mean, you might, you might have been able to forgive them and stuff, but it would be a lot better if things had actually been dealt with. And, and so when he talks about this, about bringing the justice and striking the earth with the rod of his mouth and all that, um, and slaying the wicked, most of us go, well, that's, that sounds a little harsh, you know. But the reality is we all have intrinsically inside of us this knowledge of good and evil, this knowledge of how things should be. That's why so many TV shows, movies, stories, the storyline is something does something really evil to somebody else. The person is powerless to do anything about it. And then somebody comes up like the equalizer and makes things right. Teresa has a show that she really likes called Leverage. Anybody ever watch Leverage? It's about this group of people that used to be, you know... uh, thieves and con men and stuff and they've turned their power for good and they go and they help people that are being overwhelmed by the big powerful corporations or whatever of the world and it's a really cool show I happen to like a show called Goliath I don't know if any of you have ever seen that Goliath is kind of the same thing it's a story about you know this, this lawyer who's kind of sort of an alcoholic wrestles with it but he always ends up with these cases of people who have not and, and they're up against these giant monolithic corporations, and it seems like there's no way 
that this could be changed. And yet this, this Goliath comes along, and, and, and by God's grace, they end up winning against the powerful. One of my favorite movies is... And so I guess part of what I'm trying to say is there's, there's something in us that the reason that we like movies like, like um, Tombstone, if you like Tombstone, or we like movies like where things are just made right, where the bad guy gets it and the good guy gets it, you know, we, we all have, we have that built into it. Thomas Aquinas said that was one of the evidences of the reality of God in our lives, that we know, we know what is right. And we desire for it to be that way. And we know when somebody's done something wrong. One of the great scenes that I love in one of my favorite movies called Tombstone. It's an old movie. Kurt Russell, you know, Val Kilmer. I'll be your Huckleberry, you know. But there's a great scene in there where, where they, these, the, there, this, there was this literal gang called the, the, they had red sashes, I think. I don't know what they were called, the red, the red sash society. I don't know. And to me, red sashes aren't real, you know, I mean... Yeah, they're just not bad. You know, like, really? Red sashes? That's the best you could do? Like, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be like, like an evil empire. It's like you got, you got red sashes. Okay, whatever. So, so anyway, um, they do something really bad, and, and Wyatt Earp, they show him at this trace, train station, and these red sash people think that he's just going to go away. And he doesn't get on the train, and him and a bunch of and a couple of his brothers and some other people walk off the train, and they tell him they go they tell him to go tell the the leader of the red sashes, who is busy painting his toenails. Um, yeah, they tell him um, not really. Um, they tell him you go tell whatever his name is. You go tell Jim. I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. You know, it's the sixth grade. Have you ever seen that? And I think what Jesus is doing here is he said, he's saying, I'm coming, and heaven's coming with me. It kind of makes me sad sometimes when we think all the power and the glory is just with that hell has all this power to, to do things, but heaven doesn't. No, Jesus is coming, and heaven is coming with him. And last of all, he's the impossible king. The impossible king. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and their young. And so on and so forth. Infant will play near the um, cobra's death. Nest. And they will neither harm nor destroy in my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And the last part is that he is the God of the impossible. One reiterates it like this. It is impossible for us to imagine a government genuinely committed to justice for the poor and righteousness for the meek. It is impossible that there will be reconciliation of the animal world. It is impossible that they will not hurt or destroy. It is impossible that there will be a homecoming of all the wounded and despairing. And yet it's just that impossibility that Jesus came to undo that Jesus actually can fix that which is broken. 
He actually can heal to the point where he can not only make the lion and lamb lie down together, but that their natures can be so transformed that it no longer, they no longer are intrinsically enemies, that something happens so powerful in the future that we, that we can't even comprehend it, right? It's like, well, lions eat lambs. That's their nature. Well, what if there was somebody who could come and change our nature? And for me, coming out of a drug and alcohol background, it was, it was like, well, I, I do drugs and alcohol. That's my nature. And God goes, it doesn't have to be. I can give you a new nature. I'm just going to end with this. Given all we know about the animal kingdom, all that we know about of aggression from Conrad Lorenz, Annie Dillard, and the rest, it's clear that aggression and domination belong to the animal world. And it was ever thus. Therefore, this poetic scenario is unreal. However, this poem is about the impossible possibility of the new creation. The impossible possibility of a new creation. There's a new creation coming that we can't even comprehend. We are part of something so big, it should just make us wake up every morning and go, I am part of a kingdom that's coming that's going to completely redo everything that's broken here. It's going to undo everything that's sad. It's going to make everything right. Do you know that's where we're headed? And when we lose that vision, we lose the motivation to work for it. That's part of the reason that God gives us these glimpses and images of heaven. And then he says that we are to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Our goal is not to just escape here. Well, God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. I got a final test this week, Lord. Get me out of here. Lord, I have something real stress me, stressful coming up. Please get me out of here. He says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get you out of here. I'm going to come down there and be with you. The coming king now will not only do what, <laughs> what the world takes to be possible, but he also will do what the world has long since declared impossible. I am an impossibility. You are an impossibility because we serve the God of the possible impossible. That's the God we serve. Do you believe that? That's why we pray for the sick. That's why we feed the poor. That's why we wake up and we don't despair every day. That's why I can have like three things simultaneously going on physically and then you know do a do a header under the concrete floor and 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 get up the next day and go you know what it's time to it's time to serve Jesus today amen This is an amazing picture. It's an amazing picture. 
Jesus effected a total and complete structural change to the systems of the universe by actually defeating them. Through a tree, a branch, a scorn, a cross, his, his blood-stained robes, his waistcloth. And then from a stump like death, he rose on the third day so that we too could experience peace. And of course, all, that is down, all of that is a down payment on what's to come, pictured in these glorious verses. You heard me say that Advent is anticipation, not just the observation of Jesus' first coming, but a glorious expectation of another. That is that expectation. We live in the valley between two comings. It's great because our king is coming back and is still presently with us. Father, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, give us an image, a dream like Isaiah had. So when when the walls are closing in, when the darkness of the valley comes, no matter, there's some, somebody here today who really needed this. You were despairing of life itself. You were ready to throw it all away. The Lord says, he brought you here today for this very reason. There's some of you here who physically have had so much stuff that you literally can't pray. You throw your hands up and just go, God, I can't go on. I see somebody's fingernails that they've just been having trouble with something going on with their fingernails and something going on with somebody's ear. And God's touching some of your ears right now. I can just sense his presence touching your ears. That means he wants you to hear. Father, open their ears right now that they may hear your voice. I bet from the next while, just be listening to the voice of the Spirit. And may we all, like Jesus was, be guided, drenched, filled and may, uh, with your Holy Spirit. And may, may the, the Spirit of the Lord fill this earth like the waters fill the sea so that one day the lion lies down with the lamb. Amen. Anybody wants prayer, please feel free to come up. And come to our house tonight, even if you don't know what that's all about. Just come. Come and eat, fellowship, eat chili.